The federal tax cut deal. What's an Ohio Democrat to do? From the Battelle studio at WOSU at COSI, this is Columbus on the Record. Joining Mike Thompson this week, Kathy Kandiski, State House reporter for the Columbus Dispatch. Bill Cohen, State House correspondent for Ohio Public Radio. Michael Daniels, co-publisher of Outlook Media. And Mark Weaver, Republican strategist. Congressmen and senators from Ohio are just as torn over the president's tax cut deal as their counterparts from around the country. Outgoing Republican Senator George Voinovich says he will vote against any extension of the so-called Bush tax cuts. Voinovich worries about the deficit. Sherrod Brown says President Obama is breaking a campaign promise to repeal the tax cuts for the rich. And Congresswoman Mary Jo Kilroy, who is also leaving office, says she is waiting for the final language before deciding. Michael Daniels, the problem is extending these tax cuts on everybody is linked to extending unemployment benefits. That has put Democrats in a box. It, it certainly has. Um, I think that the Senate Republicans have done a really nice job once again of holding the country hostage to, to their very narrow agenda. Um, and so as a Democrat, you're faced with the, do you let unemployment benefits expire? And equally importantly, do you let tax cuts on the middle class expire um, so that the, the tax cuts for, for the rich remain? Um, Obama has said that we have to be pragmatic about this, that, that Democrats can't stick in the ideologues, and that this is the best compromise that we can get. Um, I'm not so sure, and particularly for uh, liberals and progressives like Kilroy and Brown, this is really painting them into a box. Mark, is the... Extending the unemployment compensation benefits for another 13 months, is that a fair trade for extending the tax cuts on everybody? Well, politically it's a fair trade because you have to deal with uh, getting Democrat votes. And the Democrats will vote for that, Republicans will vote for tax cuts. But economically, none of this makes sense. Tax cuts work economically for everybody because when people have their own money, they invest it. And when they invest it in businesses, they grow and hire people. And those people pay taxes. And so they don't cost government money. They actually bring money in. Unemployment compensation is more of a political issue, which is you don't want to appear to be heartless to the plight of these people who've been out of work for so long and are legitimately worried about how they're going to pay their bills. Now, economists will say unemployment benefits are spent immediately on groceries, clothes, you know, doctor's appointments, True. medicines, but the trickle down of the upper income tax cuts is that, it's a trickle. Well, it's, it's not, not a trickle down, it's invested. I mean, pe these aren't people that don't take the money and put it in their mattress. What they do is they invest it. And when you invest in a company, that's ex it expands and hires people. And over the long haul, and if you don't believe me, believe John F. Kennedy, who was the Democrat president who put this in force and said when you cut taxes, it, it helps grow the economy. Well, I yeah. think there's a valid debate about whether wealth, the wealthiest people will take that money and invest it in the same rapid fashion that you might see the money trickle into the economy with like unemployment benefits as you mentioned. So I think it is a hard sell for a lot of Democrats um, over that issue of whether it's whether they need it considering what it's going to do to the federal deficit and what it's doing to spending. Spending was something that all these candidates ran against and yet I think this is going to blow about 900 Million, billion, I don't know, who knows? Into, into well, 900 that billion. That presumes the money doesn't come back by taxes because they do invest it immediately. What else do you do? They don't put it in your pillow. The thing is, uh, those on the left flank of the Democratic Party, they've been holding their tongues for two years now. 
they haven't been all that happy with Obama on Afghanistan, on health care, and so forth. They thought he was too centrist, but they didn't want to criticize their own president. But now that this thing has happened, I think you're seeing kind of pent-up frustration and anger, and you're seeing you know, all these words like, he's a sellout, and that's coming from Democrats themselves. And, and I think you're exactly right. I think at the end of the day, um, what will Kilroy do? I hope she votes against it because she has nothing to lose. She's not going back. What will Brown do? Um, those people who are going to be running for re-election have it a lot tougher because at some point you're going to have to face the voters again. And these are, by and large, middle-class voters who are going to say, because you held out for some ideological cause, my taxes went up and my unemployment was cut off. And but they're obviously it. sending a message to their president that they're not happy, and maybe they will end up voting for it this time, as you say, but then maybe next time this kind of a deal won't be cut so quick and not include, you know, everybody's, you know, people that feel they're being left out this time. Now, Sherrod Brown, as we tape this program on a Friday afternoon, Sherrod Brown said that he'd be willing to bring that threshold up to a million dollars, so no tax cuts for folks who are over a million dollars in income in return for cost of living increases for Social Security recipients. Mark, is that a well, deal? Well, sure, Brown, he's a knee-jerk populist. He's, he's playing to the masses. The problem for Barack Obama is the Democrats are setting these um, examples and trying to offer new ideas that are different from what the president has put forward. And so he's moving into a cycle where he's hoping to be able to pin blame on Republicans in Congress. His first problem is the Democrats in Congress. Well, I think that his first problem is that he's you're exactly right. He's got Democrats who are putting things forward which are not what he promised, but the truth of the matter is that he's signing off on things that weren't what he promised. He's signing off on a whole bunch of stuff that wasn't what we on the left of the party voted for. But, is, Mark, is it, a, is it a problem as he heads towards 2012 that he's tacking a little bit towards the center? Bill Clinton did the same thing with welfare reform. Well, it's a problem in that it makes it more likely for him to catch a Democrat primary opponent. And so many people compare Barack Obama to Jimmy Carter, so much in common with him. Jimmy Carter had Ted Kennedy come at him from the left in 1980. Many people think that weakened him so that Ronald Reagan could come in and finish him off. George W. Bush had Pat Buchanan come mm -hmm. in in 90. George H. W. Bush. George yeah. H. W. Bush. Yeah. Does he have a choice, though? I mean, does he really have a choice not to not to kind of move toward the center at this point after the election? Oh no, I think he I think he needs to politically, but it's going to create vulnerability on the left. Okay. Our next topic, Ohio will see its taxes cut even as the state faces an $8 billion budget shortfall. Governor-elect Kasich and legislative Republicans intend to let the last phase of the income tax cut take effect. If you recall, that's the tax cut Ted Strickland delayed last year. The governor-elect is also floating some budget-cutting ideas, among them privatizing the Ohio Turnpike, keeping some nonviolent offenders out of prison, and ending the practice of paying union wages on public construction projects. Kathy Kandiski, John Kasich calls these ideas low-hanging fruit. Are they as easy to pick as he's proposing right now? No, they're not going to be easy. I mean, uh, collective bargaining is going to be a tough, tough issue for, for him and the legislature to go after. But, but considering where we're at, we've got an $8 billion deficit, projected deficit in the budget. All these things have to be on the table. So, you know, prison reform is something that's been talked about. Releasing nonviolent offenders into the community is something that's been talked about. I expect that to get serious discussion. 
a lot of the school folks have told me, you know, primary and secondary education is anticipating about a 20% cut in state aid this year. So what they plan to come to the governor with is, okay, if you're going to cut our money, can you give us some more flexibility? And for them, flexibility comes in easing Ohio's collective bargaining law. So you might see those kind of trade-offs coming in the absence of money. But yeah, I think he's talked about prisons. He's talked about, of course, no taxes easing on collective bargaining. I think any discussion is going to involve Medicaid, and we've already, of course, heard that primary and secondary schools are going to be cut, and a lot of people are expecting uh, higher education to get cut as well. I think all these, the whole budget's yeah. really on the table. Sentencing reform is something that I think is low-hanging fruit in terms of getting it passed, because you've got liberal Democrats who say this is a great idea. You've got very conservative Republicans like Kasich and Bill Seitz in the Senate saying this is a good idea. It'll save money. The problem is uh, it may be low-hanging fruit to get passed next year, although they debated they didn't really get to a vote this year. But um, uh, but it's not going to save a lot of money short-term. It's a, It could save hundreds of millions in the long-term, but short-term, no. For this next budget, they're still in a big bind. Well, there's also political danger in some of this low-hanging fruit. For example, the sentencing reform, Bernie Madoff was a non-violent offender. And if he were to be let out today, there would be outrage. And the kind of people who might be let out might be the kind of folks who the public wants to see behind bars. So on one hand, the public wants to save money. On the other hand, when somebody rips off a bunch of old ladies of their money, not violently, but maybe through stock fraud, people want to see And where are they going to be housed? You know, are they going to, what community are they going to be housed in? Are they going to be housed in your neighborhood or where? You know, where are group homes going to be located or whatever they decide to do to house people? I, I don't know what it would be, but where are they going to be? Kathy, what, you wrote last weekend about how <coughs> the whole get on the bus or get run over by the bus <laughs> line that the governor-elect has used. And folks are trying to get on that bus. They're trying to come up with ideas. Is a preemptive strike, perhaps, to try to lessen the cuts or to try to work out a creative solution? I think the mentality of a lot of special interest groups is we'd rather pitch our own ideas on how to save money rather than you cut us and you decide how to how to do it. So I think you're, you're going to see a lot of groups come forward with their own plans. I think they're trying to feel the governor out to see where he is on some of these issues. I think they're meeting with their legislative leaders as well. But I think you're going to see some groups like the mental health um, mental health interest is, is one that's coming up with a plan right now that that will they'll take to the governor and I think you're gonna see others do the same. Michael the big fish is Medicaid it's 40 some odd percent of the state budget right. they have to come to the table I would assume there's certainly gonna be some cuts there. They're, they're going to have to come to the table yes and there are going to be some cuts there I honestly think that they're going to end up taking a much bigger cut than they think they're going to end up taking. Um, I was really kind of surprised at, at Governor-elect Kasich's saying, you know what, we're not going to delay the, the income tax issue for another year. We're going to go ahead and, and roll it out. It was one of those things that if we just delayed it, it really was one of those things I don't think would have caught a lot of press and would have been a way to put money back into the budget. It's an accounting trick. We all know it's an accounting trick. It was an accounting trick when, when, when the Democrat did it. But I'm really surprised that he threw that out there at the same time that we're talking about major agency cuts and he's talking about decreasing revenues. But all time. during the campaign, he said that tax delay was, in fact, a tax increase because Ohioans didn't get the yeah, tax that they were supposed we're, to get. But we're after the campaign now. <laughs> <laughs> Remember the advice that I gave the candidates before the campaign was, as soon as the campaign is over, forget everything you promised on the stump and get practical. 
So you're the one who's been telling me. Eh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right, our next topic. Before he leaves office, Governor Ted Strickland has a big task. <coughs> he has to fill the Supreme Court vacancy that will be created when Maureen O'Connor moves up to Chief Justice. Governor Strickland has tapped his lieutenant governor running mate and former Franklin County Judge Yvette McGee-Brown to fill that post. Phil Cohen, there were other names mentioned. Current Chief Justice Eric Brown, uh, Richard Cordray, Kent Marcus, the governor's uh, chief legal counsel. Why Judge Brown? Well, I think it helps uh, Strickland make history uh, by appointing the first black female to the Ohio Supreme Court. Uh, I think a lot of Democrats like that. They want to see some diversity in that court, not just finally have a Democrat in there. Uh, although Eric Brown is currently a Democrat, but also to have a black woman, I think that uh, makes them feel good. Uh, she does have some judicial experience, even though it's not the kind of high-level uh, uh, experience of deciding whether a law is constitutional or not. But she says, uh, okay, I don't, haven't decided those kinds of issues, but I've decided very important individual issues, whether to take a child away from their parents, uh, adoption issues, uh, whether to try somebody in uh, adult court instead of juvenile court. So she insists uh, she has the background to do it. And she can win. Win in 2012 is when she'd be up for election. She can win in 2012. I think one of the things that she said when her name was being floated around was that she'd be interested, but that she would not accept the appointment if she didn't think she could hold the seat. Um, and I, th- I think in, in this year with, with the way the Republicans swept everything and the governor's race still was, we have to admit, close. Um, I, she, she was uh, one of Strickland's biggest assets on the stump. She's extremely popular among all Democrats and, several, and a lot of moderate Republicans. She can hold that seat. See, I disagree. I've heard good things about her as a person. Some of my fellow lawyers know her, said she's a good person. I think politically she's weak. She will not play well outside of Franklin County. I think she did not help the governor this year. This was not a good pick. Now, she'll face a a different electorate, perhaps, in 2012, much more Democrats coming in with the president on the ballot. And, you know, she's African-American. The president's African-American. Does that play into her chances of re-election? Well, you're no doubt it's a different electorate, no doubt that people are, certainly people of color tend to be more supportive of other people of color, but this is a big state, it's a diverse state. I don't think she realizes quite how big the state is and how hard it is to campaign 88 counties. I do not think she will be reelected in 2012. I don't know, she just, she just participated in a gubernatorial yeah. race, and I think you kind of get an idea of how big the state <clears throat> is. But the that. rap on her was she was absent without leave and that she was only used in certain areas and getting around this state, as all the statewide candidates I've worked with, it's a surprise to them when they do it for the first time. Will she be on the wrong side of a lot of six-to-one votes? <coughs> No, she'll nope. be on the wrong side of a lot of five to two votes yes. because <laughs> Republican right. Paul Pfeiffer often votes like a Democrat. Okay. But yes, right. you're right. Uh, she will be on in the minority a lot. Uh, and I asked her about that, and she said, well, that's okay. Uh, sometimes a good, strong, dissenting opinion helps lay the groundwork for the future. I agree with that, and I, 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 would, I would rephrase the question. She's going to be on the correct side of a lot of losing there you votes. Go. The, yes, the, the losing side, I guess, of a lot of votes. Um, Kathy, other candidates. Richard Cordray, an attorney... Outgoing Attorney General, very smart. Uh, he he apparently been great. said, "He would have been a great pick, but uh, but evidently he's got some other ideas about what he's going to be doing in the next few years. So he wasn't interested. I think he would have been an awesome pick." And Kent Marcus, uh, good lawyer apparently, or well-respected lawyer, Governor's chief legal counsel. But there's been some undercurrents about. You know the the troop brigade. I was surprised. Uh, I know Ken. I think he's an outstanding lawyer. I think he would have been a good judge. He's certainly of a different policy bent than I am. He was appointed to the Sixth Circuit Federal Court of Appeals by President Clinton, but never confirmed. His father's a well-regarded judge. I really kind of thought that Ted Strickland 
would want to show some loyalty to Kent, and frankly, I was surprised that Kent was not appointed. Okay. How about, uh, it's still Brown. That's a good name. Brown is a good name. It didn't help the current Chief Justice too much, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, he ran against O'Connor. That's so. right. That's <laughs> Which right. Is, we, I think we've discussed before is a better name. All right, let's get to our Mark's favorite topic. It's the end of the line for restoring passenger rail in Ohio. The federal government this week announced it will give Ohio is $400 million in passenger rail money to other states that want it. Supporters of passenger rail like Ted Strickland are outraged. Opponents like John Kasich are disappointed. The federal government is not letting Ohio spend the money on highways. Mark Weaver, any chance Ohio will regret this decision, say, 20 years from now? No, I don't think so. You know, when I was, when my kids were little, I used to read them the book, The Little Engine That Could, The Little Train That Could. This was the slow train that shouldn't. It was a train that should have never been put forward. There was no market demand for this. Uh, if, if the private sector saw that there was a demand, they would have built a train. It's the same reason why the private sector built an iPod, because there's a demand for it. If government had built the iPod, it would look like a 1982 Doesn't government build highways and airports? I was going to say, that's like, that's like making the, the argument that the private sector back in 1960 should have built its own freeway system. I but mean, people use the freeway system, and there's not the demand for this train, particularly but, when but the average speed is 39 miles an hour. But people didn't use the freeway system when it didn't exist. If it hadn't been for the Democrats in the White House and the Democrats in Congress, we wouldn't have a national freeway right, system. But you don't have to pay to use most of the freeways, hence the word free. Well, you have to pay to use the Getting beyond who, how it's paid for now... If, in fact, all the states around us put trains in... Except for Wisconsin. Except for Wisconsin. <laughs> and then in some years they start connecting their lines, you know, Pennsylvania to Indiana or to St. Louis or to whatever, New York, and Ohio doesn't have any lines, then maybe we might regret it. I, regardless, I agree with your point that it, this was not the right train, but if everyone else moves forward with these projects, and, of course, that has yet to be seen, but if they do... And then we don't, I don't know, we may regret it. The problem is there's been a lot of dishonesty about this project. Even this week, Governor Strickland and Chris Redfern said that 16,000 jobs would be lost. They were only off by 100%. The 3C <laughs> project says it's 8,000, so it's not 16. But even the 8,000 is a study that's put out there that's mythical. And we forget these are other people's money we're doing this with. We're taking money by force of law from Ohioans and Americans and putting it into a project where there is no known demand. But given the practicality of that, given the practicality of the, even if it was the wrong train and even if it wasn't 16,000 jobs, we had $400 million in our hands and we said no. It didn't go back to the deficit. It didn't go to any of the places that Kasich bemoans he would have liked for it to go. It went to California and Florida to do what? New York Build Minnesota. trains. But it's a little bit like when you go to a phone, a cell phone store and they say, would you like a second one for free? And you think that's free. And then you realize you've got to pay for it every year to keep it. And so had we kept taking that money, we would have had to keep paying money to keep this train going and it would have drive empty up and down Cincinnati, Cleveland, to Columbus. I think Kathy makes a good point when she says, you know, Ohio could become an island of no trains except across the northern tier there. Mm -hmm. But I think if that happens and the rest of the Midwest has them, I think we may have the federal government come back to us in 10 or 20 years and say, right. hey, for the sake of the national economy and this national system, here, Ohio, here's your $400 million again. Take it this time. Could this have been a, a more attractive proposal if it had been high speed? It would have been much more expensive, but at least it's something new. But it would have been a, a billion dollars instead of $400 sure, million. Well, sure. where, where would we get the money? And, of course, Ohioans faced that issue on the ballot in 1982. And, uh, you know, the, the proposal was 6 or 7 or $8 billion 
uh, linking Toledo was even in there and the three C's and everything, and the voters said no overwhelmingly because they didn't want to, people didn't want to raise their taxes at that point. Now, if you can make it free, uh, you know, free from the federal government, There's if no the feds free. want to give us <laughs> six no billion dollars, oh, who would be against it? Maybe we're being really smart and waiting for that second or third generation iPod to come out. Exactly. See, and we'll have the best right train there. ever because we're going to wait for the real and model. that will be the little train that could. <laughs> the the, the touchscreen trains. <laughs> now, so, I mean, you see these high-speed trains in Europe, and China is building them like crazy. Will we ever see that system in the United States? Oh, at some point, I think we will, because the China will be even onto something faster, and America will do it. Listen, train works in certain places. I took the Amtrak, although that's federally subsidized. I took that the other day in Washington. And in some corridors, train works, and light rail works in a lot of cities. There wasn't the demand to, for six hours to get between Cincinnati and, and Cleveland, particularly now that there's a third lane going on I-71. Our cities don't have the infrastructure. I mean, you, you, can take, you could have taken the train to Cleveland, but then where would you have gone? There's, there's no city transportation that's sufficient, I think, to support that. And I that's agree, the problem. I agree with Kathy on that, and it's a matter of which drives which. It's do cities need to have the, the, the local public transportation, the buses, the light rail, the subways, whatever it is, um, the L in Chicago, et cetera, so that when you step off of the 3C train, you can step onto something else and get somewhere other than the train station. Um, and so the argument goes, do we build that first and then put the train in, or do we put the train in, and then that drives the need for that other kind of transit? Mm -hmm. um, and I, we, we get into those chicken and egg arguments all the time with these kinds of projects. I have to get to my favorite quote of the week. It would not be a lame duck session of the state legislature without some creative effort to push through controversial legislation. Saying he wants to enter an Applebee's with his weapon as soon as possible State Rep. Danny Bubb of Southwest Ohio used an obscure tactic to try to force a vote on a concealed carry bill. The measure would allow people to carry hidden guns into bars and to restaurants which serve alcohol, like Applebee's or O'Charlie's or something like that. Another bill would allow some people with misdemeanor drug convictions to carry hidden guns. Bill Cohen, first of all, are these bills, is this effort going to succeed? Is this, are these bills going to pass? Well, not this session, because it appears, even though uh, Danny Bupp was able to get 50 uh, state reps to sign a petition and finally yank, that bill, yank those bills out of committee, uh, they need to lay over for a couple of legislative days, and apparently there are not going to be any more legislative session days. That was so the creative tactic. That was the Petitions creative tactic. Petitions got around the Democrat opposition in the, the House. The end run around. But he can wait till next year, when Republicans are going to control the House and the Senate and the governor's office, and it looks like he will have the support for those two bills at that point. Why is this a good idea? Well, it's, it, it, it depends on your outlook. If you think that guns by themselves are, are, are evil, then you'd think, wow, let's keep them from being places. If you think that bad people are evil, then you think it's not about the guns. Let's remember, it's already a fifth degree felony in Ohio to have a gun while you're drinking. And so this is not about drinking and guns. This is about, that's why he used Applebee's as the example. It's about going to get a ham and cheese sandwich at a place where some people like to come and rob and shoot up the place, and your gun is in the car. Is Applebee's really a good example as a family restaurant? It's your neighborhood place. There's a bar at Applebee's, <laughs> and because of the liquor license, you can't come in. And there have been people who testified in front of Congress that they're concealed carry people who have been trained, and then they leave their gun legally in the car. The place gets robbed or shot up. People have been killed, and uh, the and gun was in the car. that's not what's going to happen. What's going to happen is how are you going to enforce who's drinking and who's not drinking inside the bar? Okay, so you've got somebody, let's see, you have a guy who's been convicted of cocaine possession, 
who you are now going to allow to have a gun. gun Felons are not allowed to have guns, so that's a crime in itself. And see, what, what stops them doing it is the felony. What keeps Mark from doing felonious activity? I don't want to go to prison. Now, people who don't care about going to prison don't care what these laws are. They take their gun wherever they but want to But if you've take. got a misdemeanor possession charge, we're now going to let you carry a gun into a bar. You're probably going to have a drink. Who's going to enforce whether you're drinking or That's not? The obvious solution is keep the gun out of the bar. That strikes me, just listening to the two of you debate, that I don't know how you're ever going to police it. How are you ever going to police not. who's got what record with what gun in the, in the restaurant? And I thought people wanted to bring their guns into re restaurants and things so they didn't leave them in the car and they got stolen. Well, that's I didn't reason. know they wanted to bring them well, into that's like... that's another reason, but they're, both of them are valid reasons. I don't want to pick on Applebee's anymore. I'll say Max and Irma's, if this passes. Can't they put a sign on the window and say no guns? Or is that... Does this law... Oh, no, they can't. Under, under current law, they can't. Under current law, private establishments can... Uh, warn concealed carry holders that the guns are not permitted. So all this is going to be is, I mean, I assume a family restaurant is going to stick those signs up. Right. I mean, just from a right. from a marketing standpoint. They could, right. yeah. And places like the El Rosa are not. Yeah. That depends. Oh, that's a bar. There's no restaurant there. I mean, Set it's like... Setting aside the pros and cons of the issue, though, <coughs> I think it's interesting that you've got a majority of the Senate says they like the bill. A majority of the House apparently says they like the bill, but it won't be voted on. Now, of course, if you don't like the bill, you say that's great. If it's a bill you like, you say this is anti-democratic. Let the majority rule. So I just, I just get a, I get a kick out of these maneuvers uh, on, on both sides on this issue. We got to get to our final off-the-record parting shots. Mark Weaver, you're up first. We talked about Sherrod Brown today. Uh, Republicans are lining up to run against him. He will have a very difficult re-election. Um, I think there'll be a Republican primary. And I'm looking at Jim Jordan as the most likely congressman, Jim Jordan as the most likely person to take on and defeat Sherrod Brown. But there will be a primary, you predict? There probably will be. Michael. Saying on the Brown theme of Sherrod and Yvette McGee Brown, I don't think we've seen the last of Eric Brown. I think that, that the governor's advisors and Chairman Redfern prevail and Eric Brown takes Julia Dorian's seat on the municipal court. It's going to be a great year, maybe not for state government, but for us news reporters. We've got a governor who takes very clear, uh, blunt stands on issues. There's going to be great liberal conservative debates. And I think the whole thing uh, is going to give us a lot to cover. And it's going to make our point that we make all the time to average citizens. Hey, watch these guys in the state legislature and the governor's office. They impact your life every day. And Kathy. We'll find out. Uh, on the budget theme, I think um, despite all, all the talk now about no new taxes, I think by Easter... We will be talking about taxes because I think that as these lawmakers get into the budget, I think it's going to become painfully obvious, and I think it already has for many, that there's no way to get this budget done without one. And they haven't voted for Thomas Edison yet. It's not final for the statute, right? Correct. So that's still time. Still time to vote for U.S. Grant? No. LeBron James. <laughs> oh, stop. LeBron James <laughs> spent more time in Ohio than Thomas Edison did. He should be the statue <laughs> at the, on the Capitol. That is Columbus on the Record for this week. Please check us out online. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. You can connect to all of that stuff at our website, wosu.org slash COTR. For our crew and for our panel, I'm Mike Thompson. Have a good week.